If you'll take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. What a powerful name that it truly is. Amen. I'm sorry, y'all awake this morning? I said, what a powerful name that it truly is. Amen. Amen. The name of Jesus. Hey, as you're turning, um, I want you to think about a promise that you have made. As you're turning there, think about a promise that you have made. Maybe it was a wild promise. Maybe it was a promise that was difficult to fulfill. Think about the lengths at which you went to fulfill this promise. You, you see, lots of movies have been made. Lot of bo- lots of books have been written about people fulfilling promises. Whether it's a working father coming home on, on Christmas Eve or a, a young student returning home by curfew or uh, just simply a friend fulfilling a promise and, and being there for someone. So we always love a good story about someone keeping their promise. T- today's passage is no different. Today's passage is ultimately about God keeping his promise. You see, God made a promise to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In the first three verses of that, God promised Abraham that he would bring him to a new land. Right, that he would make him a great nation and that he would bless him. There would be this divine blessing that takes place by being in relationship with God and then that blessing spreading out from he and his family. And so God makes a covenant with him. Land, nation, blessing. Won't you say that with me this morning? Land, nation, and blessing. God makes a promise to Abraham and he intends to fulfill that promise. And, and that promise sets the storyline of Scripture, God's redemptive plan in history, which is revealed in God's Word. That promise sets the storyline of Scripture. And, and I feel like it's necessary just to take a brief second and catch you up to speed how we get from Abraham to here where we are today. Remember, Abraham has a son Isaac out of the promise, and Isaac has a son Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The sons sell one of those into slavery, Joseph, right? Uh, God raises him up into the Egyptian courts, right? And then he's in, in up at the end of his life, he's able to uh, protect his family through the famine in the land. You guys remember that story? God raised him up and God used him to protect his family. That's, a, that's the evidence of God's promise right there. And Joseph said at the end of his life, what man meant for evil, God meant for what? God meant for good. Joseph dies, that generation dies, and in Exodus 1, we we see that that Pharaoh had died, and there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, that that didn't know any of the other brothers, that didn't know anything about these people, and they, they saw them as a nuisance, and they began to be afraid of them because they were in great number. There were a lot of people, they were doing what God had told them to do. And there's this in Exodus chapter 1 that I, that I want you to see before we get started today. It says, the more they were oppressed, this is verse 12 of chapter 1, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. That's God being faithful to his promise. God is so faithful and he is about to provide for them in a way. He's about to continue to fulfill that promise and provide for them a means of deliverance out of Egyptian slavery. He's about to do so in a way that protects the Messianic seed. And he's about to be faithful to his promise in a way that foreshadows and leaves us in anticipation of the work of Christ on the cross. So let's read together in verse 4. These are Moses' final words in the presence of Pharaoh. Pharaoh at the end of of chapter 10 had just said, get out. 
And, and Moses says, as you say, and then it, we almost get the impression like he turns around and just does this one last thing, right? He gets the last word in, God speaks to him, and he says, say this last thing to Pharaoh. And here it is, picking up in verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we pray that right now your Holy Spirit will be actively at work, that you will open our eyes to see, open our minds to understand. Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot understand your word on our own. We are in desperate dependence on your Holy Spirit to move on our behalf. So we pray that you will help us to understand. God, and I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you today, Lord, that you will use these words to open their eyes, God. Help them to see that you are the true Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing we see out of the Passover text is the loving warning. The first thing we see is the loving warning. You see, this is the 10th and the final plague, and, and, and Pharaoh had nine opportunities, nine previous plagues to repent, to submit, and to acknowledge that Yahweh is the true God, that he is not God, that Yahweh is the true God, and each time he consistently rejected God. This is the 10th and the final plague. And, and from the text, we get no impression that he had the opportunity to repent. This is God's final declaration of judgment. He has consistently continues to reject the authority of God. So this 10th plague is the killing of the firstborn son. Why the firstborn son? I, I feel like we have to understand this by going back to Exodus chapter 4, uh, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read it. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read them just a couple pages back. This is Moses as uh, he, he's had the burning bush experience. Um, he goes to his father-in-law Jethro, and, and Jethro gives him the blessing to return back to Egypt. And on the way, this is what the Lord says to him. Uh, when you go back to Egypt, this is God speaking to Moses, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. You catch that? Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go so that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will take or I'll kill your firstborn son. So you see, firstborn sons had a special place in the ancient Near East culture. They would receive a double portion of the inheritance, uh, and they would also, more than that, they would also be a representation of the father, representation of the father's character, and a representation of the father's wishes to the community at large. So the, the firstborn son was a, a special person. And God says, because you won't let my firstborn son go, Israel, and worship me, I will take yours. This is certainly an act of God's divine judgment. 
God's judgment on a king and God's judgment on a nation that had consistently rejected God. This is an act of God's divine wrath. And look at what the word used in verse nine. As I was studying, uh, this word stuck out to me. It says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Listen to you. As I was studying, I looked up that word and that word actually is Shema. Shema. If, if that word sounds familiar to you, you may be familiar with the Jewish customs and, and some feasts. And so what the Shema is or what it came to be was a Jewish prayer or a confession of faith. Moses, remember, is writing all this together and he wrote in Deuteronomy chapter six, hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, listen, respond, obey. You'll recognize this as I read it. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's known as the Shema, and the Jews would recite this uh, morning and evening. It was a prayer for them. And so Moses is writing these first five books of the Bible, right? And it's almost like he's writing it and saying, listen, Israel, Shema, listen, respond, obey, follow the Lord. Please, Pharaoh did not Shema. Israel, please, Shema. As a parent, I often find myself saying, listen to me. Listen to me. Any parents in the room want to amen that? I always say to my kids, hey, look, look, at, me, look at me. Listen. No, no, no. Don't look at your brother. Look at me. Listen to me. Right? Sometimes I say that in a, in a positive way, like, hey, finish your supper. No, no, look at me. Listen. Finish Finish your supper. There's no cookie. There's not opportunity for a cookie if you don't finish your supper, right? Or, or hey, clean up your toys. Your mom told you to clean up your toys. Look at me and do it. Maybe it's in a, in a negative way, like, hey, don't push your brother. Listen, listen, how many times have I told you you cannot try to change his diaper? You're four, right? Don't put your finger in your mouth. Don't, okay. It's a true story. That happened yesterday. I'll let your mind wander on that. So don't, don't do that, right? I want to say, listen, look at me. Listen to me. Just as a loving parent warns their kids, gives them direction in life, how to obey the guidelines that they have given them to obey, so God warns us. He warns us. He directs us through his word. He gives us guidance through our brothers and sisters in Christ. My question is, how is God speaking to you lately? How is he warning you? How is he pleading with you? Maybe it's a decision that you need to make. Maybe it's a habitual sin in your life that you know he is begging you to turn over, to lay at his feet, surrender to him. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, God's calling you to, to lay your life down before him, to truly give him your whole life, to turn from your sin. Maybe you found this stream by chance, or maybe someone invited you in the room and uh, man, God is not a God of coincidences. Maybe God is calling out to you today to turn your life over to him. And the question is, what will your response be? Will you shema? Will you listen, hear, respond, obey like Israel? Or will you reject him like Pharaoh? The second thing that we see from this text is the gracious covering that's provided. If you're taking notes, that's number two, the gracious covering. Instructions are actually given twice in this section, uh, once from God to Moses and then from Moses to the elders. And so I'm going to skip around. I've already apologized in advance to Mikey. So I'm going to skip around in the verses because some section, one section includes some things and the other section includes some others. So to get the fuller picture, we have to skip around. So starting chapter 12, verse 21, 
It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Verse 5, Your lambs shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take, take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 22, You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. It was like a plant that, that kind of was like a brush. Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, the threshold, and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Verse eight, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So there's a feast. I don't know how much of a feast that was, but it was grilled lamb. That was a good part, but the um, unleavened bread and bitter herbs, that's negotiable. But they're to eat it. They're to feast that night inside the house. Don't go out. Verse nine, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. No leftovers. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. They're supposed to eat it ready to roll. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. Don't miss that, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verses 27 and 28. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. They obeyed. The people of Israel went out and did so just as the Lord commanded. So they did. So what, what is God doing here? What is God doing? And the, the text is pretty clear on what he's asking them to do. So what is God doing here? He's providing a means of deliverance for his people. He's providing a mean, means of deliverance. And he's setting the stage for the sacrificial system. And also something much greater in the future. You see, animal sacrifices is a little bit weird in our culture, right? It's foreign, it's strange to us. So we have to go back and look in the context to get a little bit more clarity on what it means. And Moses was writing in Leviticus, okay? So same, same time of writing. Um, he writes this in Leviticus 17, 11. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. The blood makes atonement by the life. So we have to deal with this concept of atonement, okay? Hang with me. At the root, atonement means to cover. To atone means to cover or to cleanse, to cleanse by covering. Here's the picture that's taking place. The perfect, spotless lamb, innocent lamb, dying in my place as a substitute. And the blood of that lamb, the blood of that sacrifice atones or covers my sin. The perfect spotless lamb, the blood of that lamb substituted for the imperfect. This is the means by which God has chosen to deliver his people by having faith in God and faith in the substitute that he has provided. The blood on the door, right? In verse 13, it said it was a sign, right? It was a sign for them to show that judgment had already occurred at that house. When God would pass over and strike down the firstborn, he would enact judgment on that house. However, when he saw the blood, that was a sign for them to show that judgment had already occurred. How did judgment occur? The blood of the lamb 
perfect, spotless lamb was sacrificed in place of them. They're safe because they are atoned or covered by the blood. A couple of weeks ago, I had one of the uh, scariest encounters of my life with an animal. I had uh, just turned off the light. It was about 1030 at night. And uh, just, you know, a couple minutes after that, I began to doze. You know that feeling where, where you don't know if things are dream or reality. And um, I heard what I thought was a cricket behind our bookshelf, our beds right there. And they have a bookshelf kind of on the far side over there. And so I thought it was a cricket. And I was like, okay, well, that's strange, but that's okay. So I clicked the light on real quick and um, it stopped, stopped chirping. So it's a chirp, you know what a cricket sounds like, right? chirp, 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 right? And so uh, a little more ferocious than that, but that's okay. Um, turn on the light and uh, the, the chirping stopped. So I said, okay, well, looks like we're good. Click, and then a couple minutes later, just goes going back to dreamland, it starts again. And I was going, okay, and my wife is kind of nudging me at this time. She's like, hey, you're going to have to go um, take care of that, you know, get it out. Is it a cricket? Yeah, I think it's a cricket. Well, just go get it and get it out. Okay, great. So I, I, I turn the lights on, and I get my flashlight, headlamp to be more specific, um, and, and I go, and I, I'm looking, um, and it's behind the bookshelf, remember? And so I'm going to the bookshelf, and, and I'm looking behind there. I'm down, kind of pointing, pointing the light there. And um, I see something uh, resting on the baseboard behind the bookshelf that sent shivers down my spine, literally made my hair stand up on the back of my neck. I look back, and I see a hand. I see a hand, a little bitty hand, a little tiny dark hand. But I saw a hand. And, and I mean, as soon as I saw it, I mean, just that rush of, of uh, you know, emotion, maybe it was fear, maybe it was adrenaline, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I saw, I said, Amanda, this is either a mouse. I think it's a mouse. That would make the most sense, but I really think it's a bat. I said, I, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know when. I don't know where, but, but uh, this looks like a bat hand. Okay, And so what happened from that time, from about 11 to 11.30, was a solid 30 minutes of her encouraging me, just telling me how manly I was, how I'm the man of the house, how um, I can take care of this. Her just, just really speaking life into me and, and, and really just, um, you know, just, just encouraging me and us coming up with a plan together over and over again. You can do this. You are strong. Um, you, you were made for this moment. And so... Um, so we came up with a plan. The plan was to unscrew the bookshelf and then have a box, um, whenever, whatever it was, ran out to just tilt the box on top and capture it. And so uh, 20, 30 minutes went by and uh, we, went, we did it. And so unscrewed the bookshelf, turned it, and uh, sure enough, man, I'm telling you, um, I will never forget what that looked like, y'all, but there was a, uh, it was a bat and it came out from behind that just like this. Just crawling on the floor, just crawling on the floor, like a little bear crawl type thing, bat crawl. And, uh, and, and just ran out, happy to say the plan was executed perfectly. The box turned over and we caught it and uh, it was under the box. And then um, we, we scooted the box out and, uh, and, and got the bat outside. No, no bats were harmed in the process. Um, and so it was safe and uh, completely dealt with, right? So crazy story, right? Crazy story, and I had several doctors reach out to me. So if you're a doctor uh, listening or a doctor here in the room, you're probably like, hey, this dude needs a rabies shot, and that would be true. But 
I, I sought counsel and they assured me that I'm okay because of more details. But it, it never flew in the room, right? If it flies in your face, if all you get out of this is today, okay, hear me. If a bat flies in your face, you need to get a rabies shot. That's how it transmits rabies. So because it's on the floor and it was not flying in our room whenever it was found, we're okay. So you can imagine the next couple of nights, <laughs> I did not sleep very good. It, w- it took a while for me to go to sleep. There was one thing. There was one thing that made me feel safe, and that was whew, covers. <laughs> as, I was, as I was in bed, the, the next couple of nights, I'm good now, but the next couple of nights, the only thing that brought me peace and allowed me to rest in safety was if I was covered. You guys with me this morning? The people of Israel could rest because they found safety and peace in God's covering. They were safe because the blood of the lamb covered them from judgment. You see, this wasn't the first time that God had provided a covering, okay? In Genesis chapter three, in Genesis chapter three, right after the first sin, uh, we, after God uh, pronounces the curse on them, that relationship between God and man, God and humanity is broken and, and God provides a covering for them. In the end of Genesis three, it says that he clothed them in animal skins. So it doesn't say it explicitly, but of course we have to understand that if God clothed them with skins, what had to happen? An animal had to die. Blood had to be shed on their behalf. And church, this wasn't the last time this would happen either. You see, this lamb, this lamb was meant to provide for the deliverance of Israel. But it was also intended to foreshadow the lamb whose blood would be shed for the sin of the world. You see, there was another lamb who was perfect, spotless, and blameless. There was another lamb who was despised and rejected by men, as Isaiah the prophet tells us. There was another lamb who's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There was another lamb who took the wrath that we deserve. There was another lamb who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities and by whose wounds we are healed. There was another lamb that was shed, whose blood was shed during the Passover event, that lamb's name is Jesus. That lamb was sacrificed 2,000 years ago on a hill called Mount Calvary. That lamb entered once for all into the holy places, as Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. That lamb has, by a single offering, Hebrews chapter 10, has perfected perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That lamb is Jesus. Oh, and guess what? That lamb got up. That lamb rose from the dead, and he's coming back for all who call out to him in faith and repentance. He's coming back for his church, the redeemed of all times and all places. See, this lamb in our text today pointed to that lamb. This blood that was shed points to that blood. This temporary covering that was provided for the Israelites was meant to point to and foreshadow the eternal covering, the eternal atonement that all who are in Christ will experience. So I have one question for you. Are you covered? Are you covered? If you say, Jacob, I don't know. I don't know, man. Today can be the day of your salvation. Just as the lamb 
just as the blood of this lamb here was meant to be a sign for them that, that whenever, the, whenever God saw the blood of the lamb, that was a sign that judgment had already occurred. So the blood of Jesus is a sign for us. Are you with me? So the blood of Jesus is a sign for us that judgment has already occurred on our behalf. Judgment has already occurred when Jesus hung on the cross. His blood that was shed covers or atones for our sin. The perfect substituted for the imperfect. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. If you're covered, there's a rest that you can experience. Just as I was able to rest when I had the covers over my head, you can rest when you're covered in the blood of Christ. The Egyptians, there's no way they rested that night. There's no way the Egyptians rested that night because they had seen God demonstrate his power nine previous times, right? And even if they didn't fully believe it, they had to know like, okay, um, well, what this God did nine times, you know, he's nine for nine at this point. It's pretty good average. So, um, you know, this tent thing that he's going to do, it's probably going to happen. So we need to be, you know, well, it might happen. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? There's, There's no way that they slept well that night. There's no way. There was no rest for them. No rest. But the Israelites, they rested. There's a rest that the people of God were able to experience because they had a covering. All who are in Christ have rest as well. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's also an eternal rest that we look forward to as Hebrews chapter four tells us. For those who trust in God, you can rest as he fulfills his promise. That's the third point that I have for us today. That's the third thing we see in the Passover text is the fulfillment of a promise. The fulfillment of a promise. We'll read uh, verses 29 through 32 of chapter 12 to finish this out. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So God carries out exactly what he said. He strikes down the firstborn son of all of Egypt. Remember, this is an act of divine, righteous judgment. This is an act of God's just wrath towards a nation that had been unrepentant. God's purpose was to demonstrate that he is God and there is no other. He was going to demonstrate his sovereignty by utter and complete humiliation of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. That's what the slaughter of the firstborn of the cattle means as well. Not only was it the firstborn of the children, it was the firstborn of the livestock. And this is just another way to completely, utterly humiliate the Egyptians. And what was the extent? There was not a house where someone was not dead. Every single family in Egypt was affected. But the Israelites, not a dog growled against God's people. Also remember, as I started off uh, this message talking about, this is God being faithful to his covenant with Abraham. He's taking them out. 
He's providing deliverance for them to take them into the promised land. Remember, right, land, nation, blessing. All throughout Exodus leading up to this point and even afterwards as Moses is recording these events, he says, I'm delivering you, even in verse 25, he says it, when you come to the land, the Lord will give you as he has promised. Uh, verses like that over, occur over and over again leading up to this, showing that this is a fulfillment of God's promise. God's being faithful to give them the land that he promised them. Our God is ever faithful to fulfill his promises. Our God is unstoppable. And as we sang earlier, our God has never lost. He has no rival. There is no equal. And that is what he is demonstrating to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. There is no other. In the midst of our world, things are a little bit uncertain, aren't they? Pandemic, division, hatred. Even some of these things have have infiltrated into the body of Christ. But hear me, hear me clearly. God will fulfill his promise. God will fulfill his promises to us. He will demonstrate his power. He will show his sovereignty. And he is going to use his church to take the gospel to the nations. He will come again. He is faithful. Something that really bothered me as I was reading this, um, right there at the very end of verse 32, Pharaoh says, bless me also. (laughs) As I was reading, I audibly said out loud, you gotta be kidding me, man. You gotta be kidding me, Pharaoh. You're gonna ask for God's blessing now. Remember, land, nation, blessing. There would be a blessing to those around them by being in relationship with God and the outflow of that would bless others. And so Pharaoh is asking here for the blessing of the relationship or the blessing that only comes from being in relationship with God. It's like, Pharaoh, bro, you had your opportunity to repent. You had your chance. And don't miss this. Pharaoh wanted the blessing of God without obedience to God. I'll say that again for somebody. Pharaoh wanted the blessing of God, the blessing that only comes from being in a relationship with God. He wanted the blessing of God without obedience to God. Isn't that the spirit of our world? People want to be blessed by God, ask for a blessing with no uh, intent, no desire to submit, no desire to obey, to acknowledge an authority. For those who are in Christ, we don't have to be afraid as we wait. For those who are in Christ, we don't have to be afraid. And so this is kind of the main idea. I want to summarize it with this. If you want to write this down, this is the main idea whole Passover passage, God is faithful to his promise to Abraham by judging those who reject him and passing over those who receive him. God is faithful to his promise by judging those who reject him and passing over those who receive him. What is your response to him today? Will you receive the covering that God has provided for you in Christ? Will you receive that if you're here today or you're watching on the stream or watching later at any point, if you know you're not covered, if you know that you haven't called out to Jesus in faith and repentance, will you receive that covering or will you reject it? The last place anyone would want to be is to be found in opposition to an unstoppable God. For the believers who are watching or in the room, I hope that this morning you've gained a greater appreciation for the sacrificial atonement of Christ, for the covering that he has provided for us 
through his blood. Hope that we listen to his warnings, listen to his direction in our life, and we follow him. And finally, I hope that we can rest in his finished work, in his finished work of Christ on the cross, who is our true and eternal Passover lamb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, as we pray, I want you to consider my question. So you can bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're watching in, just just. Put yourself in an attitude of prayer. I want you to consider my question. Are you covered? Are you covered? See, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter three that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one in the, in the presence of a holy and perfect God. No one can measure up. The Bible says in verse 23 of Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yes, we've committed specific sins, but it is in our nature to be less than perfect, less than holy. The Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, whoever rests in the covering that he has provided, whoever comes to him in faith, whoever turns from their sin and gives their life to him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In the room, I'll give you an opportunity in a second. On the stream, you'll have um, your way to respond. But I pray, if you know that you are not covered, if you know that you're separated from God, I pray that you will respond. Don't miss his calling. Don't miss him reaching out to you. I beg you, receive the gift of salvation that he has provided for us in Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to come and to worship you. To worship you through singing, through the proclamation of your word. And I pray this morning that you will continue your work in us. That right now as we have a time of response, you will continue. That your Holy Spirit would move in these moments. Lord, for those who don't know you, God, I pray that you will just let them know their state with you. Let them know separation from you and God give them courage Holy Spirit grant them faith to believe in you to call out to you Father for those who know you God I pray whatever we may be wrestling with whether it's a decision or a, or a sin or um, whatever it is God that will submit to you and obey you help us to rest in the work that you have provided for us in Christ. So we have this time of response now, Lord. We pray that you would go before us. Give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen.